0: Thanks, Cindy. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Part of our mission statement here as a church is to activate people to live for God's kingdom first. Jesus said, uh, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and uh, everything else will be taken care of for you. All your needs will be met. Everything will go fine, but seek first God's kingdom, loving him, loving others, sacrificially put them first, and things will go really well that's that 's your calling, um, which is there 's a lot of power there, of course I mean these are well at least one of these is is a value of of our society, maybe not so much the love God part, but the love others put them first, serve your neighbor uh, that 's a value with all the charity work that 's out there the the wonderful philanthropy that 's out there but typically uh, that sort of work out there comes secondary it 's secondary to the bottom line, it's secondary to taking care of our own needs. Jesus said, no, 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 don't let these things, loving me, loving others, be secondary. Don't let them be an afterthought. Make them your driving life principle. And I just, man, I just think about this thought. It's part of our vision statements. It's part of the major uh, push, for what Jesus had for us in his teachings. It's something that we so need in this world today. Is it not? Selfless love I mean, you read the news right now, selfless love, putting our own needs aside and saying we're going to serve and take care of others before our own. Um, it's a challenge, but Jesus says, church, you guys lead out in this. Seek first my kingdom. And so we're, we're at, that's part of our mission statement is to activate people to live for God's kingdom first. So the question then becomes, well, what does that look like? How do we, how do, we do that? And that's what I love about the book of Nehemiah we have here today. because it's not a very super, uh, like it's not a very uh, spiritual book. It's not these like, lofty spiritual principles that we think about, and like, okay, try to make sense of those. It's actually down to earth what it looks like by, by this guy Nehemiah will unpack today, what it looks like to love God and love others first, to seek that first. Um, so I want to look at that with you today and consider uh, Nehemiah with you as, as we get towards the end of our One God, One story series. And so how we're going to kind of approach this is we're going to look first at why is Nehemiah here, the book, of, the book of Nehemiah, and then understand how he shows us in, in terms of seeking God's kingdom first. So let me pray, and then, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much uh, for your spirit. Uh, we ask for you to be here uh, among us that uh, we, would, we would each be touched by you today, um, that you would, you would speak to us uh, through your words. Lord, may my words be, be yours. Would you help me get out of the way, and would you help us to focus on and receive today what you'd have for us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so why is, why is Nehemiah here? I think a, a fun first place to start is kind of consider its position in the Bible. Now, I know most of you guys are looking at apps uh, in your Bibles, uh, but if you have a physical Bible or you just kind of see mine, Uh, you you notice that it kind of falls in the middle of the Bible, and especially if you take into account the Old Testament, so, you know, not talking about the part of Jesus and beyond, it's it's, it's basically exactly in the middle, but that's misleading, because Nehemiah actually falls at the very end chronologically chronologically, of the historical records of the people of God. Uh, Together with Ezra and the book of Esther, which we'll look at next week, uh, Nehemiah is recording the last events before Jesus comes onto the scene. In fact, there's 400 years of silence after these events, only to be broken, that silence, by the angels coming onto the scene, singing and proclaiming Jesus' birth. Um, so a quick recap of the Old Testament. What's, how, what, what's been the narrative as we've been going through this, this ancient book and this text, at the survey level, it seems to me the, the, the a summary of it has been this: God provides, He loves, He blesses, and the people decide to do their own thing. And that's kind of been the summary. If you think about all the sermons we've kind of talked about through this Old Testament series, It's kind of like, God does some amazing. He created people, He established a relationship with them. People said. That's awesome. We're going to do our own thing. He delivered them from Egypt, the bondage of of, of sin. Uh, excuse me, slavery. And he delivered them from all these various different people. After he established them in the promised land, raising up judges, the people just decided to do what they wanted to do. He gave them kings. This is the part of the Old Testament we kind of skipped over too much Old Testament to cover in the summer. Uh, They gave them kings. It didn't really go that well because they kept doing their own thing. After a while, God started sending them prophets, and the whole message of the prophets, we looked at Jeremiah last week, but all the prophets were essentially saying to the people, God is one of you guys to shape up here. Guys, follow God, and if you do so, it'll go well. If you don't, things are gonna, they're not gonna work out well for you. Finally, he starts sending some prophets and says, look, you're gonna, I'm gonna re- God's going to remove his protection, his blessing from you, and you guys are going to go into exile. And what happens is the nation first of Babylon, Babylon and then the Medes, Persians, uh, conquer the people of God, and they are in exile. That's where Nehemiah picks up. Nehemiah is in exile. Uh, he's in the city of Susa, uh, the, the citadel there of, of Persia. And uh, where the, how the book opens up is it tells us against all odds, humanly speaking, that is, uh, there's a remnant of God's people still living in Jerusalem. Now, the, God had not abandoned them entirely. In, in fact, we know that if you were here again last week when we looked at Jeremiah, as much as God was through the prophet saying, hey, it's not gonna go well for you if you don't listen to me, he also said, even if you abandon me, I still will never, ever abandon you. I won't forsake you, I won't leave you. And by the way, even... When you go into exile, I will still bring you back. So this is not surprising to know that there's, an, there's a remnant there. And yet, how Nehemiah starts out is this remnant of people in Jerusalem are in grave danger. It says in verse 3 that they're, they're, they're facing trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken. Um, it's kind of smoldering rubble. Which that might not sound like a big deal to us today, what's the big deal about a wall. But back then in the ancient culture, that was, that was everything. If you didn't have a wall, you were vulnerable. You couldn't keep anything of significance, of of value. You were were open and exposed to attack. And so the book of Nehemiah is, therefore, about this man rising up to rebuild the wall and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, let me pause there for one second, okay? Because that's the context. Um, Here's the thing about the book of Nehemiah. Here's the thing about any of the books of the Bible is we're always trying to ask the question, what does this mean for us today? In the book of Nehemiah, we have to especially think about that in the greater context of the story because the purpose of the church today or God's people today is not to build up walls and separate yourself from others, which is what Nehemiah is the story of. It's not about culturally separating us from folks, but is, there's something else going on. Well, what is that? Scholars tell us, uh, a technical term here for a, for a second, Scholar, scholars tell us that this is in a different period of redemptive history, they call it, uh, the book of Nehemiah is pointing forward to something even greater. So often throughout the Bible, when Jerusalem is mentioned, it is not just mentioned as a, as a city, as a geographical location, but it is pointing ahead to something greater, to something more amazing. Uh, listen, for instance, how uh, Isaiah, one of the prophets, uh, talks about uh, this city that Jerusalem is pointing ahead to. Um, He says, we have a strong, this is Isaiah 26, verse 1. We have a strong city, which you might think that's Jerusalem. But then it says, God makes salvation this city's walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nations may enter in. In other words, Jerusalem is pointing head to a better city, a city where the walls are not going to just be physical. The walls are actually more of the spiritual variety. And so, uh, and, and as, we, as we look forward to this city, uh, it will replace the, the, the old heavens and the old earth and, and become a new heavens and a new earth. And so what we understand then is God's people today are to make this city available. If you've read anything in the New Testament and you understand the life of Jesus and his teaching, he was always saying what? The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come. He was saying, This new city, this new kingdom is available, and it's available through me. Why am I going into all of this? It's to say that as we read the book of Nehemiah and we pull out uh, some principles here of what it means to live for God and live for others first, we need to understand, Christian friends, I'm especially speaking to you, that it's not just meeting tangible needs. It's not just about the physical building up of a wall, uh, meeting broken people where they're at, and bring healing and redemption in that sort of way. That's good. That's right. Christ followers are called to that, but there's a a spiritual healing that needs to take place, and that is ultimately pointing them to the greater city that Jerusalem points to, and that is life in Jesus' name. In other words, in in applying this, as you think about some of these principles and and making this our own, for those of you who are Christ followers, it's it's showing us that we need to make available Jesus' love to the world. So what does loving God and loving others, seeking God's kingdom first, look like in a practical way uh, in in the life of Nehemiah? I just want to focus on three thoughts, and we'll go through these actually pretty quickly. The first one we see here is God can and wants to use everyone. God can and wants to use everyone. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was not a professional priest or pastor or a trained spiritual leader. Uh, in fact, Nehemiah is one of three books that all record the same time and history of events that are all happening at the same time Nehemiah, Ezra, and Esther, as I mentioned before. All completely different types of folks all vitally important to God's saving plan of bringing the exiles back into a restored Jerusalem. Uh, Esther, who we'll look at next week, she was royalty. She had a vital part. We're gonna talk about her next week. Uh, Nehemiah, we're talking about today. He's the professional. He was a cupbearer, but actually, as you read through the the book, he's an incredibly gifted leader, incredible leader, but he's the professional, and then Ezra was the priest. He was the spiritual leader. Here's the one that you, you know, most of the time when you pick up the Bible, you think, oh, that's the one the Bible's going to be highlighting. You know what's interesting about Ezra is when you read it in, uh, uh, at the same time as Nehemiah, you, we actually learn that Ezra is already back with the remnant people in this broken Jerusalem by the time uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1 starts. And the interesting thing about Ezra is he is in over his head. He has identified by this point. It's been about 12 years since he got there as an exile. It's been about 12 years by the time Nehemiah 1:1 starts, and he has identified the walls need to be rebuilt. The people are vulnerable. We need to do this. Let's do this, and he can't do it. He doesn't have the skills. He doesn't have the resources. He doesn't have the, What Ezra doesn't realize is he is waiting for God to raise up a Nehemiah to help build and restore and heal. We need Nehemiahs. Ezra's need Nehemiahs. The church needs Nehemiahs. People, you know, I look around this room, and I think about, you know, there's a number of Nehemiahs I know are in this room who for the last year or more have been dedicating your skills, your gifts to, for instance, for current to get up and going. We need Nehemiahs. Uh, You know, it's also interesting about the book is uh, scholars point out that it's along this uh, ever-increasing, like, march, this progression of biblical narrative that it, it, it itself serves as a pivotal movement in this upward trend of God using just a few leaders like Moses, Joshua, even King David, who have secular roles but really have spiritual hats and are those kind of leaders, to now Nehemiah, who's just the, the professional. And by the way, if you look at chapter 3, he's leading a group of completely diverse folks. Actually, I encourage you to read chapter 3 later today. It's a very tedious reading. It's all these names that are really hard to pronounce, doing all these various different tasks on various different parts of the wall, even the gate of Dung, which is interesting. Anyways, sorry, my stupid humor. I have a five-year-old. Um, all these various different tasks coming together, men, women, lady, clergy, uh, different vocational skills. And professions coming together, different people of social class. It's very tedious reading, but it's very impressive. It's showing us God's unity in diversity. He's raising up everyone. Here's what I think this text means for us uh, this thought uh, means for us today. two thoughts. One, you cannot say, God doesn't want to use me, God can't use me. You can't say that. God wants to use everyone. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and and seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness to the masses not to a group of pastors actually one of the persons there was a fisherman this guy named Peter one of his disciples who would go on later to write in the early church the church is a priesthood of believers when you look at the new testament it, it's talking about, you can't read that far in, in all these letters to the early church without seeing over and over again this verse. Everyone has a gift. The church is a body of many members that all need to come together and serve different functions. You can't say God doesn't want to want to use you. And the other thing I would say to you is if you have made current your home or you're leaning in that direction, I think I could say it this way, it's not coincidence you're here. It's God can and wants to use you, and we need you. We would love to talk to you. We want to do this together. You know, it's interesting to me. Nehemiah is all about restoring and building walls. You know, I was thinking about mobile church this week in my studies. You know, the pipe and drape kind of being our, our, our walls here, you know. Um, for the sake of the words, the songs, the relationships of salvation, happening on Sunday morning and going out into the community. And we'd love to have you a part of this. This is actually an exciting time to be a part of it. We're getting ready to scale uh, coming into the fall. Uh, we're, we're expecting that God's going to continue to move as he has been doing, so we've got to scale and get prepared for that, which means there are opportunities to get plugged in in exciting ways. Use your gifts and skills to help us think about different things. And as you prove faithful with little things, you can prove faithful with more things over here. It's interesting in chapter three of Nehemiah is some of the folks who are really gifted and passionate in their area are serving in that area. Some folks who are gifted and passionate in that area are serving in this area because that's the need. It's, oh my goodness, that's the church. I love it. And that's what you get to be called into. We're also gearing up in this next season. You're going to hear a lot more about this in the coming weeks. Sorry, I'm giving you a little teaser today. Um, in terms of the vision of the next year, we also want to really be thinking about intentionally serving the greater community that we are in. How can we do that in a greater effectiveness? We've already been doing that. There's a lot of that happening here and there. And part of that is I've got to do a better job of highlighting all that for everybody. Um, but how can we be thinking about this even more intentionally? If you have a heart for any of these things, we'd love to talk to you. You you have those little sheets of paper? These things get translated into action. Um, God can and wants to use everyone. Thought number two here is God often starts by working in us before working through us. Um, Nehemiah hears the news about the wall and the remnant people being in trouble. And here's his reaction, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is so interesting. He was so moved that he had to find a place to sit down. You notice that? He's so moved, he's like, oh my goodness, i gotta, I got to sit. And all these words here, he wept, he mourned, fasted, he prayed. And it says, for some days, you know, it's interesting about that. If you look at chapter 2, verse uh, 1, it gives us the next month in, in, in the order of, of events. That's uh, three months later, which means it was very likely that he had been thinking, praying, fasting, in all these ways, for three months. And then, of course, there's this beautiful, beautiful prayer, verses 5 through 11. He says, Lord, the God of heaven the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Uh, there's so many things we could say about this prayer. I don't have time to get into all of them. Verse 8, he says to God, remember the instruction you gave your, your servant Moses, saying if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commandment, obey my commands, then even if you are exiled people, In the farthest horizon, I will gather you from there and bring you back to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. You know what's interesting about that? Nehemiah is actually referring back to a text that was written a thousand years before him. Nehemiah lived in about the uh, mid-5th century B.C., uh, about a thousand years before him, Moses wrote the words, Deuteronomy 30, verses, the first few verses there, saying to Moses, hey, Moses, before you die and all that sort of thing, I, just, I need to tell you something here. My people, your people, you're, they're eventually going to just keep this pattern of doing their own thing, and I'm going to let them go into exile. It's going to happen, but don't worry, I'm going to bring them back. He went on record a thousand years before, and Nehemiah is bringing that up. What's my point in all of this? You can read these verses and say, oh my goodness, Nehemiah is such a loving and compassionate guy, praying through tears for three months. It's impressive. We're called to do the same. But you know what amazes me about this prayer and what's going on here is it's not so much showing us a loving and compassionate guy in Nehemiah. It's showing us a loving and compassionate God who is orchestrating to use Nehemiah. He is stirring within Nehemiah a heart of love and compassion to do something that he's been thinking about for years and years and years. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Um, the more I pray, first of all, I believe in the power of prayer. Oh my goodness, experientially, let alone what you know, Word of God saying about it. But the more I pray, and not just those like. Lob prayers, like, hey, God, that, and don't think about it anymore. But when I pray, I, first of all, confession, I've never prayed three months morning praying. I have just, man, hope that mean, doesn't mean you have a bad pastor. I don't think it's the normal. Um, but when I, when I am moved in that direction, you know what I almost always find? I find, even in the midst of my prayer, oh, my goodness, God cares so much more than what I had worked myself up to thinking I cared so much about. He is thinking about it. He is caring. He is loving. And the great privilege we get is the great privilege Nehemiah got, and that was to be, to be placed in a place where he could partner with God in what God was doing. So he ended up praying for about three months. You know what ended up uh, stopping that uh, time of prayer? God opened a door. The first part of chapter two Nehemiah is bringing in some wine, undoubtedly, to the king. And the king asked him, like, Nehemiah, why are you so downcast? Like, what's, what's the deal? Now, you need to understand, scholars remind us, that ancient kings, like, you didn't want to, like, step out of the box with ancient kings. Yeah, I could kill you, okay? Um, you, you just stay in your box, okay, with ancient kings, that sort of thing. So Nehemiah was taking a bit of a risk when he moved in this moment. The king said, why are you so downcast? And Nehemiah seeing God perhaps doing an opening. He had been in the place where he'd been thinking, praying about. It. He was able to detect what God was doing, stepped into that, said, How can I not be downcast when my people and my homeland are in shambles? They're exposed. He was in a place able and, and able to see God moving, that he could step into it. And the king, of course, God working in his heart. Why? Of course, because for a thousand years, God said he was going to do this. Working in this guy's heart, he says, what do you need? And by the way, Nehemiah had a ready answer of, I need these things, I need these things. Because he was a stud of a leader. He was a a leader. Ezra wouldn't have been ready to do that. I wouldn't have been ready to do that. Some of you guys would be ready to do that. He was ready to act. I that's our great privilege. I think we, we get to partner with God. God is so infinitely more loving, compassionate about all the things that we see around us that we are compassionate loving for. Prayer allows us to be a part of that. It opens our eyes to it, even as it allows us to ultimately be a part of what he's doing, what he's orchestrating. And I think, man, the more I read about today's events and all that's happening around the world, prayer, prayer, Christ followers, the church needs to be thinking and praying and looking for opportunities to partner with God. Not just willy nilly stepping out there, but in faith as He opens up doors, taking it. Let me ask you this question, though. Do you, are you stirred by the pain of others? Do you identify? Do you, do you feel it? And if you don't, you know what I'd say? It's ask God for it. Ask God to help He'll move in your heart. And if there are certain passion areas, Pray that through. Is that just coincidence, or is that something that, that you or collectively others or we need to work on? Um, what are we passionate here as a church?'ve What we're passionate about is a lot of people come to the Silicon Valley finding ultimate worth in things like climbing the career ladder, you know, buying the toys, or living a comfortable life, whatever it might be, getting ahead. And what we realize, what we understand from our humble places, that's empty, that, that can't satisfy. Even when we attain it, let alone on the struggle to get there or if we don't get there, but Jesus said, whoever believes in me as the Scriptures teach will have, living waters will flow from within them. And Jesus, we can find our ultimate worth and meaning, and we will be complete because he is the salvation. He is the city. He is the king, and he knows our needs even greater than we do. And so he, he calls us to step into that and partner with him. Uh, is God moving in your heart to identify? And another area real quickly, I just passed this over my notes, is we, we're obviously we're moved to build community here as well. A lot of people come here to Silicon Valley, starved for community for all the reasons that we know, feeling and actually and in actuality uh, isolated. So we want to be a place where we can come around and love and be loved. Is God moving in your heart? to identify with the needs of those around you. And then last thought, uh, God's call, of course, high level here, is to put his kingdom first, meaning to just make that be our driving focus, even at the sacrifice of other things. Look, it's interesting to me. We might read this and think a cupbearer, wasn't that cool of a deal? It was a sweet gig. I mean, for starters, he got to taste all the best of the wine of the land, I mean, that kind of thing, which for Northern Californians, we could appreciate that. Um, but you know what? For being in exile, he had all the security, the safety he could need. Um, he had all the comforts that he would ever want. He had authority. I mean, informally, he was in the king's court. He could do stuff. And what does he do with all of that? He gives it all up and heads out into the wilderness to go try and help people who are hurting. It's amazing. It's an incredible, and that's that's our calling here. And, you know, you know um, I mean, obviously, as we think about that, you know, we want to be thinking about what does this mean for us, where we are. This could be any number of things. Seeking God's kingdom first, loving him, loving others, where you're at, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. It could take on, it could be so many different things. It could be putting a relationship above, you know, your career in a certain sense. It could be, uh, you know, uh, taking time off at the end of the day where you could, you could really squeeze in more work so you could be available, I mean, any number of things. And I don't want to actually presume to know what they are for you, but I think we need to be asking the question, God, how are you moving around us individually and as a church that we might enter into it, that we might put other things aside and focus on that. Now, is Nehemiah ultimately calling you to leave your job and move somewhere else? I, I don't think so. I mean, this is just a story. It might. But I don't think so. I think what it's saying is is looking, putting our own needs aside and focusing on what God's called us to, even when it might be a little uncomfortable. Um, What I love about the story of Nehemiah is what I love about all these stories in the Old Testament is ultimately the power is not drawn from Nehemiah just being an awesome guy. Did he seek God's kingdom first? Yeah, he did. He did a pretty good job of it. You know who did a far better job who Nehemiah pales in comparison to, that is the ultimate Nehemiah, that is Jesus Christ, who's so identified with our pain, with our hurt, with our needs, that he sought God's kingdom first in the sense of leaving his kingdom, not as the cupbearer, but as the king, to come be born among us, live among us, walk among us, weep with us, and of course, not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of it. That is Jesus. That is the one who calls us into seeking his kingdom first. And if he has done that for us, oh my goodness, we can start to lean into it. He has set up, he are, he's essentially, in another sense, the walls of salvation. That when we are in him, we are ultimately safe. And so, what does this mean for you today? What does this mean? I mean, first of all, I mean, are you are you hung up at all it's like, oh man, I don't know if God can use me? He can and wants to. Are you in tune to what he was doing? he's doing? He's inviting you into greater things to put things aside and focus on him. I mean, again, I just think about today and all the events that are happening, uh, kind of at the macro level, let alone at our companies and our neighborhoods. Boy, loving sacrificially. Even if we step into that just ever so slightly as individuals in a church, it'd have a tremendous impact. That's what God calls us into would you look for opportunities to partner with them? Let's pray. Father, we are so humbled by your goodness to us. Uh, Story after story in the Old Testament, as we've been doing this series, just remind us of your faithfulness, your kindness. Even when we're not deserving, even when we're not all that equipped or adequate to do the things that we ought, um, you're orchestrating things for us, you're loving us. And the biggest guarantee of all of that is, of course, that you sent your Son to die for us. That, that we can be citizens of your heavenly kingdom because he died on the cross for our sins that so we can receive forgiveness and life in his name. And so actually, I want to pause right now and give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you'd like to receive God's love for you in Christ. Receive eternal life in his name. Uh, You can do that today by raising your hand. Raising your hand is not what saves you. It's a decision to receive what he's done for you in your heart. But raising your hand uh, acts that out in a way. I'll see it. I'll pray for you. But I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here today and you'd like to receive the love of Christ, what he's done for you, by dying on the cross for your sins, you can receive that today. I'll give you a moment. You can raise your hand. I'll see it. I'll pray for you. One more moment. Father, help those of us who are your followers uh, really embrace living for your kingdom first. We confess that we're not that great at it often, um, but you led the way, you call us into it, and it's your grace that can bring us through and help us really love those around us in a way that our world just needs right now. So would you help us in that individually and as a church? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.